Hey everyone, this is Greg. And before we start the podcast, I want to give a quick shout out to our sponsors. Our first sponsor is CloudMLX from, you guessed it, Lone Wolf Technologies. Your MLS system needs a dust off, an upgrade, a fresh perspective. With CloudMLX, the creative team at Lone Wolf have done just that. It's a redo under the premise, what if I could search my MLS like Google? You don't need to replace your existing MLS system software. Just provide CloudMLX as the easy MLS search solution to your members. They will love you for it. Check out CloudMLX and the rest of the Cloud Agent Suite at cloudagentsuite.com. Also, I'm very excited to announce from Rob Hahn, the Notorious ROB, comes the Notorious VIP. As a Notorious VIP member, you'll get exclusive access to Rob's intelligent analysis, written and audio commentary, plus op-ed style articles. The Notorious VIP is a monthly or yearly subscription for those in the industry that want to go a few levels deeper. So please sign up at notorious-rob.com. I'll put a link to both sponsors in the show notes. Also, if any of our listeners are interested in sponsoring the Industry Relations Podcast, please drop me a line at gregrobertson at gmail.com. Hey, thanks again for listening. And now on with the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Industry Relations Podcast with Rob and Greg. This is obviously your co-host, Rob. And I see that my co-host, Greg, with his lovely hair, which you can't see because this is a podcast, is traveling. How you doing, Greg? Hola, Rob. Hola. It's appropriate because you're in Texas today, right? Yeehaw. Exactly. <laughs> I think you got to figure out how to say hola with like a Texas accent. Like we got, you know. Hola? I, yeah. I don't know the Texas way of saying hola. I think you need to I go do ask. Definitely, yeah, I yeah. definitely do have a California hola. I see. More than than a Texas Ola, right? Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is that way for sure. We need to have that conversation. But uh, I think you have some special guests you want to uh, introduce. Oh, God, this is this is so this is fantastic for me because many of the podcast uh, listeners will know I sometimes feel like the poor, lonely Dutch boy who is putting the finger into the dam to stop the Rob Hahn from just. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the spewing of all the things of, uh, you know, I feel like I'm defending the MLS or defending whatever side that Rob's chosen to take on that day. But I'm super excited to have Justin Landon with us. And of course, Mr. Ryan Castle. Welcome, gentlemen. Welcome. Thanks for having us. I'll note that uh, Ola in Texan is Ola. Yeah, we're not in Hawaii, right? Like, I mean, wasn't that more of Aloha the way they said it, right? <laughs> like I said, it's a California, it's a California thing. But Justin, that was that was exactly right. So you you you've spent some time down here for yeah. for sure. But I think the genesis to this for both you gentlemen but was before, that before okay, that, because no, I don't ahead. know that everyone knows. I mean, they should know Justin and Ryan, but let's just oh, quickly shit. have a brief intro, uh, starting with Justin. Yeah, Who are you? Exactly. And you know, name rank serial number. Yeah, I'm, I'm Justin Landon. I'm the CEO of the Lexington Bluegrass Association of Realtors, a 4,000 member uh, and slightly more than that subscriber MLS in, uh, in based out of Lexington, Kentucky, but serving a 30 county region here in Kentucky. We go about two hours in any direction from Lexington. Uh, feels like it covers our jurisdiction. Spent a lot of time at the San Antonio Board of Realtors prior to that and then 11 years and working in the U.S. Congress before that. California native by way of Texas, by way of DC, by way of, of Kentucky. So I've, I've been around a bit. Third <laughs> and third generation in the business. Uh, grandfather or grandmother was a broker, dad's a broker, uh, and I'm the failure in the family because I've never had a license. <laughs> well, welcome. What part of California, Justin? Uh, I grew up in the high desert, just north of Palm okay. Springs, and yeah. uh, went to UC Santa Barbara and then, uh, and then departed uh, the Golden State for other places. Well, you can always come back. You can always come back. If, if I can live in Boulder, Santa Barbara, I'm on my way. I mean, as long as you enjoy socialism, I think California oh, is just God. a lovely, Christ. lovely place there we to go. be. Yeah, there we go. All right. And Ryan? Uh, Ryan Castle, the CEO of the Cape Cod and Islands Association of Realtors. There's Cape Cod, Martha's Vineyard, Nantucket. We got just under 3,000 members, subscribers that we handle out there covering those three areas and spent the last eight years doing that. And seven years prior to that as the government affairs, um, handled government affairs for the Charleston, South Carolina Association of Realtors, where I grew up as well. And so um, that's kind of the spill of pretty much my whole adult life work for the Association of Realtors and MLSs. So. All right. So 
Continue, Greg. Sorry, I thought our no. guests should introduce themselves. No, here, first. Here's the yes. thing. Here's the thing. And that you know, this is great because I think that both Justin and Ryan listened to our last podcast about buyers' compensation going away. And Rob, you said some controversial things about you know, well, what really does the value of the MLS have if if this goes away? And I've heard on one, on more than one occasion, that many people in the MLS industry took a little bit of a I don't want to say offense, but they they had some differing opinions. In fact, mm. um, a gentleman that I just spoke to a couple of days ago said that he was in his car and he had to stop the podcast because he was just yelling at his phone at right. you, at okay. me, not at you. Let's be clear not, about no, this. not at me. No, yeah. I've, I've, I'm among friends. Now. You're the now defender I, of the status quo. Dutch, I'm not the lone right. Dutch boy here. I've I have multiple fingers now to help me out and start right. and stop this 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 spewing right. out of That's the right. dam. That's right. Uh, of what you're doing, Rob. So uh, all right, I'm, I'm very happy here. All right, and uh, as I'd like to say, I have uh, strong opinions, weakly held. So I I can absolutely be convinced, and if I'm wrong, I'm wrong, and happy to admit it. So have at it. So I think Ryan, since you kind of began this with an email to me, like what was the issue that uh, that? Yeah, you yeah. said. I mean, you kept saying every time Greg brought up something. Your defense was, well, you can just call the listing agent for that information. And, you know, I, I don't even know how many times you said it. Justin, how many times did he say it? Yeah, I could make up a number, but it was more than that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and so it was multiple times. And the thing is that, I mean, I think that proves the point of the value of the MLS is the efficiency of the marketplace that it creates, right? Like, especially today's market where, like, you know, you wait for a listing agent to call you back. They already have six offers before they even look at their phone message for a text message, right? But I mean, if you're going to wait on the listing agent all the time to call you back, then yeah, you don't need an MLS, but you don't need anything then. Like, because you're just going to call them whenever you see a sign on the yard. Justin, I mean, uh, anything to add to that? Well, I think more specifically, I think um, my main takeaway was this assertion that the value of the MLS is tied solely to buyer compensation, now, buyer's agent compensation. Now, I think Ryan and I or anybody else would be totally remiss to suggest that uh, the buyer agent compensation within the MLS does not provide value. Of course it does. It's a central part of the basis of MLS. It's the reason that MLS was able to come together 50 years ago, 60 years ago, 70 years ago. Without that, it would have been very difficult to get the engagement that we experience today, the trust factor of the agent population with the MLS. But by focusing solely on that, you've short-sighted the things that Ryan's talking about, right? Okay. Efficiencies. You know, you talk about cooperation and understanding that it's there. Uh, and I think it's really key to talk about like MLS. I and mean, sometimes I think you have a, you use MLS and we're not always sure what you're talking about because I think MLS and MLSs are different things, right? MLSs will be impacted on an individual basis perhaps, but that does not devalue MLS as a whole, right? Okay. And, Distance of MLS, I think, remains central and provides tremendous benefit, not just to the agent population, but to the consumers. Okay. And this is so great. We have such the smartest guests (laughs) all the time on this podcast. This is, thank you so much. Exactly. I Let me just say ditto. 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 (laughs) Okay. So in my defense, to the extent that I will try to defend, I really should have gone back and listened to the episode before we recorded this. But, you can uh, edit that part out, Rob, so you don't have to admit that you didn't. Oh, no, <laughs> I didn't. I, I mean, I, I literally recorded, but I didn't go back and re-listen re, re oh, to it. Uh, Rob, just have you ever listened to anything you said oh, before? I did, but I, not like, I don't prep, think you, you – know? I think I, the way I think of Rob Hahn is he talks and then never has to revisit what he said. Oh, no, it happens all the time. You know, In fact, uh, I've just had a consistent wife. trend for years. I believe the context was without cooperation and compensation, right, specifically the compensation piece – then the value of the MLS is strictly in the data that it has, the data and technology. I believe that's actually what I said. That it, It's not that it has no value. I think you're, you're inferring that because I said, well, in a pocket listing situation, what do you do? Call the listing agent, right? I mean, if I'm wrong, then fine. I'll, I'm wrong. But I think I've consistently said without cooperation compensation, the value of the MLS is in data and in technology tools. Well, I don't, I don't think you're going to find a whole lot of disagreement right. with so, that statement. Right. And honestly, that's not new. Right. I mean, it's not new. That's my point. Right. I didn't look at HAR.com. I mean, 
those are conversations that were happening. I mean, there yeah. were consultants before Rob Hahn was a consultant yeah. going around yeah. saying those things, right? Everyone, so it, brokers compensate people outside of the MLS all day long right now. Sure. You know, because they look at it and say, is this in the best interest of my client? I'm going to compensate you because my goal is to work for the seller, right? You sure. know, yeah. And so if I can bring the deal together, then I'm going to bring the deal together. So that's not new. Look, Greg talked about the status quo before. Justin and I are definitely not from the MLS status quo part of this, right? Like we both came into the MLS world post Zillow, as I like to say, right? Like we don't think of, we don't remember books. Justin may be a little older than me, but, uh, you know, we don't remember, you know, that kind of thing. So we're not the defenders of it. I think that, I think you do, though, underestimate the value that MLS plays in today's role on that data side. So I, I, I disagree. So like I said, if I'm, if I'm walking through this, it was without corporate compensation, MLS's data and tools. And I believe the specific thing that we, I brought up, and I say this because it's something I've been pretty consistent about over years. The problem at that stage is that the MLS is not big enough and wealthy enough to provide the level of data and technology that other companies can. That was where that was. And I think if I, again, I think what we then got into, Greg, was a whole conversation around the growth of pocket listings, what things might look like as commercial real estate. You know, that was what it was. So I'm puzzled. I'm delighted that oh, you God, guys, Jesus. no, hold on. I'm delighted that you guys were, were fired up enough to want to come on the show. But I guess I am a little. He does this all the time, guys. Don't, don't we're not going to let him do this. But okay, you this don't let whatever. But it, I'm a little puzzled why people took such offense at that, right? So let me clarify. So let's let's start from this standpoint. It's not that I think like the MLS has no value, right? I think what I was mentioning was without that, it's about data and technology, and the 600 or so MLSs. There and it's something that I've been saying since what 2017. There are too many of you. You're too poor. And you don't have, you just don't have that. I don't think that's controversial. So what I will say is I think we do have some basis of agreement here, right? That at the end of the day, data, and Ryan and I have talked about this many times, data is the core of the MLS. It has been forever and it will continue to be. I think perhaps here where I where I push back a little bit is I think Ryan and I are both in what I would consider mid-tier MLSs, right? We're, mm-hmm. not, we're not massive. We're not tiny. Uh, we have resources, but yeah, you know, we're not yeah. right MLS. We're not CRMLS. We're, yeah. not, we're not Austin, Miami, Kansas City, what have you. But the things that our staff is doing every day, uh, and I'll give you a fantastic example. We actually had a listing on the MLS just this last week. It was listed as 10,000 square feet, right? The Barn Dominion down in, in Russell County, Kentucky. The PVA, the Property Value Administrator, or, or the, the appraiser, depending on where you're from, said, uh, thought it was unimproved land. Right. As far as they were concerned, it was unimproved land. Listing agent asserts it's 10,000 square feet. Well, it's all studded. There's, there's no, it's not finished. It's an unfinished, uh, it's not anti compliant. The real square footage on that property was zero. Right. The only way to do that is to have an MLS who's enforcing those rules, making those phone calls, checking the documentation, verifying what's on the PVA. And it's not to say that someone else can't do that, but the, the level of detail that's required to ensure that listing agents are complying by the guidelines that they've agreed to as part of the MLS is not something that a major corporation can snap their fingers overnight and stand up. In fact, in fact, I actually think it's far more difficult than you would theorize, which is why it hasn't happened, right? At the end of the day, a massive call center somewhere trying to solve these very difficult or sticky wickets, as I might get accused of calling them at times, I just don't think you could put a value on that. It, it's the let, number let me, of... Yeah, Hold on ahead. a second. Let me, because the details are important here. So when you said you guys at LBAR, you, the MLS, went and and found out and did this data compliance, did you send somebody out? Oh, great, great point. No, I had robust photography. You, you had, what do you mean robust photography? We had ph- photographs of the entire okay. interior of the property. So some listing agent submitted the photographs and then someone on your team looked at those photographs and said, and it came to the termination that you did, right? Correct. Okay. For question number one, is there some reason why that couldn't happen in Louisville? No, of course not. So one of my thoughts, like, again, like, I, I think this is in lines, which is why I don't really get the offense, right? It's like, look, you said big giant corporation. I didn't say anything about like somehow automated AI is going to take over, but a giant corporation could be Kentucky. It could be, say, three states. Right. And for that matter, it's something that we've talked about, like, as a you know, different context. 
Is there some reason why a an MLS compliance person sitting in say Boston couldn't do that work, right? Yeah, there is. There is okay. at times, right? Because the idea is comes down to a lot of things, right? So we've had situations where crazy stuff where you actually have to have real conversations and actually have to know some of the areas that you're talking about. Right. And some of these areas, when you're talking about whether it's waterfront or not, whether it's not like you have to kind of know the area. So yeah, I have a bunch of remote employees, right? So that's the thing, but they also know Cape Cod. They also know the landscape there. So yeah. they know the terminology being used because let's be clear as I mean, the terminology agents use is not necessarily to describe properties, not necessarily what everyone uses. And so you've got to figure that out. Like sure. Cape Cod, we had this thing called villages, most important field on our MLS. It is, does not exist in a tax record. Right. Like, and so you've got to figure that out. But it's the most important thing on location. A bigger MLS that some of my members are a part of, they don't address it as part of the village. Well, then no one knows actually where it is. So there ends up being one, two, three Main Street in Barnstable, Massachusetts, four times because there's four different villages and they all have one, two, three Main Street. Let me let me add a little bit of maybe just context here to what I'm hearing. Rob is saying that, you know, this could be handled better by some big box store in a sense, right? No, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, though, and what I've said for years is we have 650 MLSs, right? The industry has been moving towards consolidation forever. And I thought that the data side of things does not have to be as hyper-local as people say it does. I think think it does. and, and, And here's why. I think because in order to get the data you need and the accuracy you need and everything you need, you need a organization of cooperating people to make that happen. If you if you disperse that too many, you make that faceless whatever, I don't think you're going to get the level of accuracy, the level of cooperation to make that data set as good as it is. Yeah, sure. Technology, everything. Maybe people could do technology better, but there's still something, you know, in the vibe, in the in the collective of the people that are right. doing that to make that better. I think so. We should be getting right. So not, we should be it's getting. Not, it's not like you so know, Greg, a, a software, a platform, whatever. But it's it's that organization. I, sure, I get I you. So we should be getting bright MLS and CRMLS on this to have you explain to them how they're so not accurate then. Well, this is this is where I think the solution here is so what Rob is saying. Right. And I think, Rob, I hear what you're saying now. Yeah. I don't think this is what always comes out of your mouth. I, I think there are times that's, where you it's possible. Slightly, I've been accused of slightly, <laughs> a slightly more dogmatic position to make a point. And that's totally fine because that's a rhetorical device. I get that. But when you say, you know, I think there are lots of MLSs and we're going to continue to see M&A in the field. Like, of course we are. Like, right. we know that's true. You know, I think we are going to see a fewer number of MLSs over time. And your point about Bright and CRMLS is well taken. Those organizations, by and large, you know, to my knowledge, do a fantastic job of serving their subscribers. I also know that they have you know, varying levels of engagement from local employees that are dispersed that have expertise in those particular yeah. markets that they work in. Yeah. You know, for example, Bright MLS and that, you know, they lockbox services are not part of that conglomerate. They serve those at the local association level. There's all kinds of ways to skin this cat and lots of ways for MLSs to compete in the marketplace with each other um, and for you know, various businesses. But I think to suggest that there's a future, and, and there may be a future that, that looks like this, it would just be undesirable where agents load properties into a website and then just you know kind of cross our fingers and hope that it all works, I think does not serve consumers well, right? I, At the I, end of the day- sure. The agent and consumer, and let's, you know, I think we really need to make sure we're paying attention to the consumer because ultimately, you know, the the MLS was formed to get agents to participate, which is where that compensation was so important. We were in in a period of great distrust, right? Everybody kept their inventory to themselves. They didn't want to share it. So the compensation piece was central to getting them in, you know, but in over the years, the MLS has become as important to speak to consumers as it has been for agents to speak to each other, right? It's become a distribution mechanism. Sure. Um, and I think also what Greg just said around, like Justin and I have talked a lot about the staff part of compliance, but the staff part of compliance is compliance to the local data fields and the local things that the local governance 
decision makers are are getting together and deciding the best fields for that MLS, right? And I think that's what Greg was getting at with those with those brokers in the marketplace getting together and deciding, you know, these are the fields that we need, these are the data sets we need, all that. Like Brighton CRMS absolutely have set up local decisions. They're not making in DC decisions about data fields in Pennsylvania without engaging brokers in that marketplace, right? Like it's just not happening. So you still have those local decision-making trees happening. And so you're, but if your point is that MLSs are going to have to look at different management structures, different governing structures, and varying levels, then yes, we're absolutely agreeing so, with you, I think. Of, and I, mean, I know. You know, Rob, I've implemented a lot of your suggestions at yeah, my MLS around I that. know. I know. So this is what I'm getting at. Oh. Like, I get the criticism, like, and if it was whatever. And again, I don't remember the context. So I have to go back and re-listen to it and see if I either do a mail culpa, hey, I misspoke, or I just you know defend it. But I think my overall thinking was we were talking specifically about like DOJ actions, you know, the civil lawsuits. What happens if buyer compensation is struck down? Right. And in that event, this is blah, blah, blah. And I think what I've said, and I've been doing this presentation time and time again, and I have to make the point every time, just because I'm describing something that I'm seeing doesn't mean I approve or I think it's a good idea. And I feel like I have to say this whole thing, like I'm literally an, an anarchist. I don't like the government. I don't think the government does a great job anytime steps in. So this isn't me saying the FTC acting is like a wonderful thing for consumers, for the industry, for anybody. I'm just pointing out they're going to step in. Like that's not a, so there's that piece. However, as an analyst, what I think is this, if they do step in, then the value of the MLS is strictly around the data that it has and the technology that it provides its users. And on that basis, the weakness is not about Bright and CRMLS versus Elbar and, you know, and Cape Cod. The weakness is how much money do you have to put towards things like data, technology, developers? And if that requires a different type of governance structure, then that's what it requires. And this isn't, I don't feel like this is me, you know, like bad mouthing small MLSs or praising the hell out of big ones. It's simply pointing out the realities of once things shift away from cooperation and compensation as the glue that keeps things together. Because the corollary to that is cooperation compensation to me tends to lead to smaller, more local MLSs. I think we've already moved away from that. Okay, good. In good. your scenario, right? Like when IDX came about, right? Yeah. Many people said, well, why would a buyer's only agent want to be in the member of the MLS, right? Right. And we haven't seen at any wide scale, I mean, people that are buyers only agents still participate in MLS today. Yeah, because they are getting all the listings and that's incredibly valuable, right? So, yeah, I mean, let me, can I blow yeah, this up and go, go a little bit back? Yeah, yeah. And, and this, I'm, I'm going to go high level here, guys. So I'm, I'm just, I just see some things here that like this brings up to me that kind of, maybe I'm being triggered. Maybe that's the term I'm looking for, right? But I just hear like, when things kind of like you, you take off the local factor of knowledge and input, right? And it, you, you give it to somebody else, a bigger corporation or anything else, you get into a, and this is how, and this is, you know, this is one of my themes here. This happens culturally. Like, well, these are alternative facts, right? We don't know as a society anymore what the truth is, right? Well, you know what? Well, who says it's that village? My grandma has been saying we've been living in East Village our whole lives. What does it mean that your MLS says blah, 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 right? I'm going to put East Village on here. But you get into this whole thing when you, when you start getting non-experts in and like everybody's just their fucking opinion, right? And into this thing. And I think when things start going out instead of just this group of professionals working together, when it gets blown up out there, you lose that. And we're doing that everywhere, man. There's no local reporters, you know, that are, you know, reporting on the local school systems or the local governments here. It's all going so wide out that you lose all that stuff. And what I, what I've loved about this industry is like, you know, there is these local things that are kind of, we know what a fucking three bedroom is, right? We know what, a, you know, there's no, there's no alternative facts to that, man. We know that this is in this day. I mean, ish, right. But, but I mean, there's something beautiful about this. And like, when I hear these things go on, it's like, Oh my fucking God, here we are. We're going to start arguing about a peekable view. I mean, we do that now, right? But I mean, but just on another level of bringing people in that just are going to assert their opinion because they know they can get a better price if they say it's an East Village rather than that village, right? I mean, yeah. does that make any sense to you guys? I just, 
this just feels like the same kind of thing that I hear happening all over the place. No, and I, th- I think that's the thing. I mean, but what most people are doing are verifying against some data set, right? So I talk all the time. To me, there are searchable data fields and there are marketing data fields. And y'all talked about, yeah, okay, people only search by 16 data fields. That's what y'all kind of talked about the last thing. And you're absolutely right. But the marketing of it and and like the idea that the other agent or the consumer has the other data there, whether they search on it or not, is very valuable. And I think that's something that, that people miss out on too. Right, even you know that it has four hundred fields or or, or whatnot, yeah. right? Well, I mean, you have that answer right there in front of you, right? Like, and what I say is like, unless you're requiring it, unless you're verifying against something, it becomes a it, that's a searchable field. If you're acquiring a field and you search on it, if it's just a, like a voluntary field, that's a marketing field because it's not it's not verified and all that, but it, it's used there to market the property. Right. So, I couldn't agree more, Greg. I think all of that is very true. I think. Um, uh, you know, the, the I will note that as Ryan and I were looking at each other as you were talking, you know, the, the the arguments that do happen over real estate terminology is actually a hyper local one, right? Like, you know, what do we call a bedroom in our in our MLS? You know, what do we call you know an entertainment room or you know a walkout basement? Mean like these are all things that in different markets may mean different things, and I think that's actually a compelling argument for why MLS to some degree needs to remain at the very least regional. I also don't want to miss out on on the other things that the MLS does that actually have nothing to do with data, and it has more to do with being a technology provider, is that to me, the MLS is the single greatest catalyst for adoption of technology, the independent contractor of the broker. How many brokers out there have a CRM that they would desperately love their agents to use, and their agents are like, eh, you know, not going to use it. Uh, but when the association launches a technology product, you know, we don't look at things on direct ROI, right? We look at things that benefit the marketplace. So we're willing to invest like in something like a showing time, a showing service, or or a lockbox service, or, you or know, a, great CMA, a, CRM. a great a great CMA platform. <laughs> yeah. Right, a great CMA platform. There you, you beat go. me to it, Ryan. <laughs> um, and we're willing to invest and say, look, we don't need fifty percent adoption in year one, right? Because we see a benefit to the marketplace, and we're willing to bet the long game. Where a broker sees, you know, ten percent adoption in year one, they're out, right? There's no ROI there, and I do see. I have I have seen tremendous market benefit to the consumer and to the agent population because of that and it's the power of the network, right? That that an individual broker can accomplish. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I don't want to overlook that benefit of the MLS. Now, of course, that can be solved at larger units, but those larger units become an even greater threat to that broker competition model that I talked about before. So yeah, and then I would say, you know, to go to what Rob is kind of expressing also is that I I am really have been proven wrong a number of times on and it's because of the pandemic of like things that i thought we would ne- could never do remotely or from afar or you know virtually or whatever you want to call it absolutely i i'm totally sold on yeah now that can be done now right so okay. you know rob's saying that like these could be bigger things and 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 don't have to be that can be widespread i mean there's i i i've been proven a lot uh, wrong a lot of times about things that i never thought was going to be able to be done remotely or virtually that are 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 even better now than than doing it live. So absolutely, yeah, and that is, I mean, I, I'm, you know, Rob knows me. I'm I'm one of the leading examples of of doing able to do things more remotely now than ever before. And my, like I said, my staff as well. But I think you know, I I used I have given and no offense, Greg, to this joke that I usually say, but I usually say, well, MLS technology is built to be average on purpose because you're trying not to be with brokers buying the best technology, you've got to give all the brokers that can't buy anything, something, you know, so it's actually designed to be average on purpose. Right. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, from that side of the technology side, I would say that, um, no, if it, you know, that's my little, yeah, joke. I guess, I guess. yeah. So, you know, so- but, but what I say is this, like, but you also, like Justin said, broker adoption, what Greg, why does Greg sell to MLSs? Because it's better adoption. Right. I mean, you see better adoption in your products when a when an MLS buys it than when a broker buys it, probably. Is that oh, true? Absolutely. Uh, direct. Well, d- it depends market by market. If the MLS does a good job of marketing the agents, absolutely. They don't. They don't. Right. But I have seen, you know, everything is different where, you know, sometimes we'd love to have a member benefit. But then we look at the numbers and we're doing more revenue going direct to brokers and agents than we would ever get for a member benefit. Right. So. It depends well, on the but market. But that's just right? making Rob's point. Not that people wouldn't use it from the MLS, 
but that the MLS is too broke to pay you more money for it. And brokers and agents aren't. And if, if that, I mean, Rob's point to that is MLSs are too broke. Absolutely. Because there's too many MLS and too many models out there that have been, let me run the MLS for the lowest cost possible without actually investing in it. Yeah. Right. Are we done beating oh, me up God. for here, here <laughs> whatever? I can just, so, I can smell the smugness right now. No, it's not a smugness. Like, what are you talking about? Like, all I was suggesting was if it was, I, I guess, really, I feel like I've been taken out of context is what it is. But if I did say something crazy like that, then mail culpa. My point, I think, is this. And I think we, there are some couple of real interesting things you brought up, Greg. I kind of want to get into it at a high level. The MLS, the value of it, it's a natural outgrowth. Like It wasn't like Congress got together and passed some law and said, we're going to set up MLS. This was a natural sort of out of realtor associations. People getting together saying, oh, hey, I've, if you bring me a buyer, I'll pay you. So it's it's all perfectly understandable, right? I think the problems that I've been seeing for the last, I don't know, 10 plus years is, okay, we're starting to see venture back capital. We're starting to see technology happen at a different scale. And I'm just not seeing the MLS side of things adopt to that as fast, right? That leads to certain positions that I think are controversial maybe. And it's like the how we began this, Justin. Like there's no reason why you couldn't have compliance happening out of, you know, Lexington for the entire state of Kentucky, right? There's no reason. I mean, Ryan, I get you, but you know what? If you're running a decent operation, you would say, okay, you know, we need somebody who's a specialist in the Cape, somebody who's a specialist. You could have statewide, right? These things are possible. From a data technology standpoint, we've been talking about this for at least five, six years that I know of, where people would point out, you could have customer service delivery with truly hyper-local flavor, but the agents and brokers and the consumers, like nobody needs to know that the data center is sitting in Amazon Web Services. You could have one MLS database. And I think that's the kind of motivation behind things like MLS Grid, as an example, right? We're trying to create a common data platform. Why? It's because this stuff costs money. It costs developers. And I'm sorry, there's only so much that a 4,000-person MLS can invest in versus a 40,000-person MLS. Part of my frustration stems from the fact that we have companies out there getting funded to the tunes of hundreds of millions of dollars to develop prop tech for this industry to come to you all and sell this tech to you guys. And I'm like, why can't you develop it yourself? Right? Why can't the MLS go hire developers to do it yourself? And we know the reason. We know the reason. It's 30, 40 years of the way that things have been built up. Like, all right. So when we're talking about the value of the MLS, all I'm pointing out is the reason why NAR is fighting this so hard the reason why MLS have lined up so hard beyond compensation is they recognize if you lose that and you start getting judged strictly on the basis of the data, the technology and services you're offering, then you need to ramp your budgets up fast. Like that, that's bottom line. You need to ramp it up because your agents and your brokers are getting their service and products from companies that are way bigger than any MLS, right? And those companies, by the way, have some vested interest and some experience in running Real estate data operations, like Costar. You know, I don't think I don't think that's why people are opposing what you're doing. I, then what is it? I, I think the idea that you know mandatory offer compensation makes the market does make the market more efficient, along with all these other values of the MLS. And so, by the fact that it makes the market more efficient, that firmly falls within the value of that MLS itself. Okay, that's what I would say to that. It's not some kind of grand conspiracy that, okay, we, oh my God, we actually have to do work now if we don't have the managed. I mean, what you're essentially saying is, oh my gosh, MLS is an NAR saying that, oh my gosh, we've got rid of mandatory offer conversation. Oh my God, we're all actually going to have to provide value in the MLS. And what we're saying is, hey, I, we don't think that's a value that most people actually, like it's not, one, it's, it's a, a one piece of the entire value proposition now, not a majority of it. Okay. Let me ask you something. That's, and that's proven, right? I mean, if we talk about this on the podcast. Yeah. Northwest the Seattle MLS. Northwest MLS, right? Is you yeah, bring up? I mean, right. it's, and it's other MLSs that yeah. have like, you can put a penny down as far as compensation, right? So and the market says, well, the market is saying- say any MLS, you can do that. Or I just want to clarify. Okay, all right. So any MLS, you can do that. And, and you know what? The market finds a way. Nature finds a way, right? I mean, and, and, and they've decided between themselves that this is a better and more efficient and- Well, it goes back know, to what I said earlier. Offering compensation serves your seller better. 
right? Like, because it, it brings that. So we want to believe that that serves the consumers better to offer compensation. That's why people still offer it in Northwest MLS. Guys, aren't we just being a little disingenuous there? It's, it's, it's been happening for years the, and years over there. Craig, are, are we just completely ignoring the steering problem? Because I, dude, I could go on Facebook right now and find some agent in some real estate, you know, group bitching about how the seller's only offering one and a half percent of how she's never going to show that. I, house. I think, I think if you look on, I was talking to somebody about this the other day. Dude. I mean, if you look on the MLS, there's like a handful of listings that are not offering compensation. Right? Isn't so, it because so, of the steering problem? So, so Rob, Rob, I would say, or, this. or, or say is that. it Rob simply because it's better that way? I mean, you can, I mean, you can have any conspiracy theory sure. you want. An agent who won't show a property because the offer of compensation is a bad agent. I'll Absolutely. Say They're breaching fiduciary duty. It. I'll say it. They're yeah. a bad agent. Yeah. Right. And there are bad agents in this business. They're bad MLSs in this business. There's bad consultants in this business. Right. There's bad technology companies in this business. There are bad people in every business. Bad podcasters. <laughs> you know, so, <laughs> no one on this call. But you know, <laughs> uh, let me be clear, Greg. OK, so what I would say that is, yes, I don't think that we're creating like we don't we're not vesting on this thing because there's bad people in this business. Cool. If that's the case, then we should see every MLS immediately dropped the mandatory compensation rule. You know, and again, I think if what they're saying here is correct, if if most MLSs have where you can make that compensation anything, we're almost there. Right? I think we are. And that's my point. Yeah. So here's the and thing. I, I guess, and we talked about this before. I mean, I thought it was one of those third rail topics, but, you know, being more educated about it and finding about Northwest MLS, which I, you know, really didn't kind of grok before. This does seem like a little bit of an elegant issue in regards to the DOJ, right? Because it seems like if they could throw them this bone, maybe it helps out. I mean, anybody else got an opinion? This is a topic of which I am not willing to speculate a whole heck of a lot. I think this is going to play out as it's going to play out. And, right. and as MLS is, I think all we can do is make sure that we've set up an operation that can sustain what our subscribers, participants need. Exactly. Right? which is a data warehouse exactly. that provides exceptional data and the right technology to access that data and to get that data into the hands of consumers. That ultimately exactly. is the purpose of the MLS. Exactly. Regardless uh, of the compensation piece. And I'll that's what there, we have to make There sure are thoughts that if you got rid of the rule, you would actually get more data in other areas other than resale of homes, right? Absolutely. Like, so you could actually, like, you know, the idea is I, I, I get this call all the time. It would get more rentals in the database. Brian, we've talked about it offline as well, but I've said publicly and in writing, every MLS should be going and calling buy side or um, the buyer graph. Real scout. Real scout, right? Y'all should be calling buy side or real scout like last year. And then we need to have this installed at the MLS level. You guys should well, be calling know, Some rental. MLSs have that reverse auto prospecting where you, know, you can do a CMA and it says there are you know, 400 searches in sure. the MLSs that sure. are looking for this exact property. Sure. Right? I mean, that's building it right. Feature. It doesn't. Yeah. It's not about those vendors, but build it yourself if it is. But point being, get buyer data into the MLS. I'm on record as saying, go work with the big rental companies. Like, you know, there are a bunch of them, right? And get rental <laughs> data into your MLS. Yeah. Well, I mean, that, be doing a lot of interesting stuff around that. Yeah. So. Yeah. And it's like, get, get the data in. Why? Because the proposition is if this stuff happens, then the value of the MLS is going to be strictly data and technology and service. So that's all. You know, asking you, you guys, you know, Justin and Ryan. So if you get a percentages wise, okay, there's the technology of running this technology solution, being a tech company, data, whatever. That's part of it. And the other part is like ensuring that the data goes in there is correct, right? And people are in compliance and and, and whatnot. As an MLS running an MLS. Is there percentage wise on that? I mean, how, how do you guys look at those two factors? Are they equal? Is one, you know, to me, the technology is a tool to help the first thing happen. I mean, how do you look at that? So I would say as an MLS, I think different MLSs are going to look at it differently. And some of that has to do with how big the MLS is and what the resources are. You know, the larger the MLS, the more time they're focused on technology would be my guess. Or what, what the percentages are. You know, my guess is our CRMLSs, our bright MLSs. I mean, you look at where their investments are. You know, they're making significant technology investments. It seems like CRMLS is announcing a new technology vendor almost every week. Um, and that's that's something that they have the resources to accomplish. You know, I think at the smaller MLS units, it becomes more focused on data. You know, we certainly provide a suite of technology products. I'm sure Ryan does too. They're very good. 
Um, are there other ones out there that I would love to bring? Sure, of course there are. Uh, and we're discussing them all the time. Some more, more likely to occur than others for a host of reasons. Yeah. Uh, finances just being one of them. But I think every MLS, regardless of size, acknowledges that the, the majority of their function is the maintenance of the database, both from a how we structure our input sheets to how we structure what spits out. And I think what we've really seen from the National Association of Realtors recently with their policy changes, I think there's a huge focus coming on how we distribute data. That's going to be a, a place where MLSs have the opportunity to really begin to uh, do some new things without, without necessarily bolting on more front-end software. You know, I don't know that the MLS long-term is a front-end software business, but it is and will be, I think, always a back-end software business. Yeah, and so Ryan, do you, do you say the same thing, you think? Yeah, I mean, I think at the end of the day, right, like there are brokerages out there who would love it today, and I've had conversations with them because they're, they're bigger ones in my marketplace, that would love today if their agent didn't have to log into the MLS for anything, right, and they could have everything in-house, right? However, you go and talk to, I mean, but but remember, when we say that, these are like, I have 500 participants in my house, 500 brokerages. We're talking five that want to probably do that way, right? Now, granted, it's a majority of my agent count, but it's not a, it's a small sliver of my actual brokerage count. So, you know, you've got to be clear about that when who you're serving too, right? There will always be small brokerages. There will always be a need for small brokerages. And those small brokerages aren't focused on technology. And that's not the value proposition they're giving to their agents. And that's not the value proposition they're giving to consumers. So you're always going to have to play that game in the long run. I do think you are moving to the point of at some point that there will be brokerages that offer an end-to-end product where the agents are not actually logging into the MLS itself. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, because what I'm asking is why I'm asking is that, you know, there was the news recently of the CRMLS, right? Alliance. And mm-hmm. of course, you know, there's been other ones out there. I, you know, I mentioned MLS aligned was there's doing some similar things where they're sharing some stuff, but I was just down in the lobby bar, of course, um, as one does. As and Mr. Robertson, an M- master of the lobby bar. Here. And one of the comments that they made was um, that, talking about this kind of news is like he felt that MLSs were getting away from what they really were about. Right. And focusing too much on the technology. Right. And their argument was like, you know, we're not just a, the technology is a tool for what the MLS itself is about. Right. And that was a dangerous kind of like, it was just to focus too much on the technology is not, you know, it's like, it's too much on the gear and not on the composition of the photograph. Right. It's not, you know, something just a little bit missing about if you're focusing too much on the tech, you're really not understanding what the mission of MLS is all about. And I, I think there's there's something to that. You know, you're you're kind of saying in a sense, Justin, that it's maybe it's the size, right? Because you do have more resources in there, therefore you can get more things. But that's what he was saying. I mean, it's any size, is that you know, if you if you're focusing too much on that, you're not really doing your job. Right. I mean, what do you say to that? Why was the MLS created, right? The MLS was created to help people buy and sell real estate and to bring competitors together to collaborate. Let me sell my listings. I'll help you sell yours. For the benefit of the consumer, right? Ultimately, group of competitors coming together to work to benefit the consumer. And I think as long as that's our focus, you know, we're in good shape. I think. But to me, to me, the pendulum has been swinging about, not about that. It's like, you know, what, do hinky, we're going to build our own tech. We're going to build all, I mean, there's all this other stuff that really is like, okay. Well, I mean, I think that's because, I think that's because for, we get distracted by the next shiny object, right? Too much in this industry. And I think the other thing is like, we're focused at least my MLS about technology that provides, that facilitates more cooperation, right? Like that either facilitates more cooperation or facilitates better, more accurate data. Right. So if you can figure out how to combine those and, and bring those in, then yeah, technology is. But there's not a lot of people, I guess, Greg, that start a technology company that say, how do I facilitate better cooperation among agents? Right. 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 So right. so because there's not a lot of people playing in that space, I think we end up having to think about that space and people end up having to think about. Okay. I like that. I like that. that. I like that mm-hmm. because. And that does fit in the narrative now, because now, especially there's other there's other motivations they have. Right. When I'm buying a showing company, the showing service company, because I have another motivation, 
not you just cooperation. Now? Well, you know, I mean, you I'm, saying, uh, I'm not saying, I'm not saying we are not, Lone Wolf is not buying and showing. I'm just saying, <laughs> you're seeing that other people have these technology companies, they come in as a tool that you think is going to help you, but they're, they have ulterior motives. Yeah. Right. And those motives are not lining up with. And I think, so what you're saying is that a lot of times MLSs feel, well, we're not okay with those alternative motives. So we're going to have to build this ourselves. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. So I, I, I get like, that. I, mean, I, I get I, that. When you look at products, like you got to figure it out. Right. I'll be first to admit, I was wrong about this product to start with. I was, I, when, when FBS came to me with flow plan, I was like, no way is this an MLS product, like helping people create flow plans. I started talking to some of my brokers. They're like, this is absolutely an MLS product. And I go, why? Because it facilitates cooperation. Yeah. And I was like, oh, wow. Because having a floor plan in the MLS, one, helps that data integrity and that data accuracy. And two, is also helps the cooperation, right? The buyer, the buyer's agent, they have more, more, more access to all that. So yeah. I immediately saw the value of cooperation. And I'll be honest, we have, because we've implemented it, we went from about 5% of our listings having floor plans. 38% of our listings now have floor plans. Fuck, that's and, awesome. And like, And so like that kind of stuff can actually happen with that technology. Mm-hmm. Yep. So are we, uh, where have we ended up? I'm not sure where we ended up. Are we agreed? <laughs> you know, the, the, horror, the, the funny part about it is, right? I do, I do agree with you, Rob, but I do think occasionally ah. when, you're, when you're engaging in polemic, which you are want to do from time to time. Yes you can overstate a point to make a point. And I think that's what happened here, right? I think Ryan and I heard you overstate a point to make a point. And I don't know that there's a whole lot of disagreement about the fact that the MLS needs to focus on data. It needs to do data as good as it can do data because that's the core value, right? Uh, Regardless of any of these other things that are happening to the right or to the left. And that includes technology, right? Because technology is moving at a pace that uh, I don't know that any of us can predict or keep up with. I mean, I think that's, as we see our MLS partners around the country make investments in technology, it's like, man, that's really cool. But like, how do we sustain that and keep up over time, right? At the end of the day, we're not technology companies. And that remains to be seen. I'm, I'm going to be very interested and excited to mm-hmm. watch to see where that goes. Yeah. Um, but what I do know is we are, at the end of the day, data companies. And I believe that the MLS, not as it exists exactly today, because as you say, we're going to continue to see consolidation. But the MLS is a local unit that works with business owners every day to collect data and disseminate it for the benefit of all is going to continue to be a need. Now, where that lives, who sources it, how many there are, where they're located, man, we'll see. The future is exciting. Um, And although this is is a scary time to be in the industry because things are changing rapidly, it's also a really exciting time to be in the industry because things are changing rapidly. And I certainly appreciate the opportunity to chat with you all about it. Yeah, no. And so I'll reiterate this. I mean, I've spent my entire career basically working with MLSs. Right. I truly believe in the value of the MLS, whether you call it an MLS or something else. Right. And I think it's really a consumer benefit. Why? Because they came out of commercial real estate. And I used to make this point all the time. If you think it's hard finding a home, try finding office space. Right. Now, here's the thing, guys, as we saw from two years ago, and I started talking about it, we in fact have the commercial real estate MLS has now entered our industry. Right. And the responses that I've seen over the last year, last two years out of the MLS industry has been, I, I mean, I'll just say it, it's been a little disappointing, you know? And I'm like, I'm pointing out obvious things that like, you can't debate, right? For example, in the last two years, three years, something like $35 billion was raised for PropTech VC venture capital funding to go to all kinds of different PropTech real estate data and technology companies. My question that I've asked every MLS executive everywhere has been, how much of that money went to an MLS? And the answer we all know is zero. Zero dollars of venture capital funding went to an MLS. Why is that? Because every single MLS is either a not-for-profit or owned by not-profits or owned by brokers who can't agree on what, how it should be functioning. So they, cannot take, they can't take investment, right? And then we're going to sit here and talk about how like, come on, guys. You know, and it's at, at the leadership level, right? At the end of the day, whatever happens is going to happen, right? I totally get that. The MLS is incredibly valuable. We want to try and preserve it. We want to try and preserve it short of the government coming in and making you all a public data utility, because that's the other possible outcome from all of this. And as somebody who hates the government, I would like to see that not happen. At the same time, you just look at what's happening in the industry and technology among agents. I mean, can we start talking about the fact that agent teams are driving growth, growing use of pocket listings? Are we just going to confront that at some point, right? That, you know, some of these things, if we're not going to deal with that, 
Then what are we left with? We're left with a scenario where there's 650 MLSs, some large, some small, but varying different qualities, varying different levels. And we could talk hyperlocal all you want. When some $35 billion company comes in and starts fucking around, I'm sorry, like what, what recourse do you all have? Do you right? So I'm a consultant. I'm supposed to go to you all as my clients say, here are different things you can do to survive. Here are different things you can do to, you know, to, to do that. And that gets sometimes, you know, gets interpreted as the MLS has no value. Like the exact opposite of true. The MLS is enormous, enormous value. If the MLS did not exist, we as a country would have to create a public data utility to put all of the real estate listings to one place. I mean, think of it that way. I'm just try, saying we already have it. Can we try to achieve more of that? Right. Or, or function like a foreign real estate market, which you've ever tried to go buy res, you know, residential Correct. real estate in another country. Horrible. Whew, it's, yeah, it's, it's horrible. A challenge. It's um, horrible. It's horrible. But at the same time, some of it is because, let, let's be again, be honest about this. As Ryan said, there are some bad real estate agents. And some of this is because we do have some people who behave in ways that are selfish and not good for the community, not good for consumers, not good for the economy. Like, and to some extent, the MLS has some role in disciplining that and bring a little bit of order to the marketplace that way. I've always supported that. I think that's amazing. I think it's wonderful. Right. No, and without the MLS, there'd be more bad actors in that marketplace. Correct. Without a yeah. doubt. Correct. So, and what like, what yeah. I've done, what I've done off of this conversation is, I mean, what I wrote down is something that that Ryan said, and how can tech help us foster cooperation, right? And I think that's very fundamental. It's so, it's like anything. It's like the 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 simplest thing is always <laughs> the hardest to do. But it, like, I love that. I love that. I mean, what if you know? Let's let's get mission. You know, we talked about like first principles before. What are we, what are we trying to do here? I didn't put down foster compensation. I'm underlining cooperation here. How can tech help us foster cooperation? I love that. I, I absolutely love that. Without any strings or some other kind of competing business plan, you know, on there, right? Which is what what, what I think we're riddled in right now. All right. Yeah. So this was awesome, guys. See, y'all thought y'all gonna like just beat up on me, and uh, I feel beaten up. And once again, yeah. if I if I say something crazy, then. As we Justin said, polemics. Copeland and said, "I didn't mean all that." So. Right, and then like, then I'm happy to admit all that. But I think, <laughs> hopefully, this clarifies my longstanding position. And if you want to attack me on my actual position, I'm happy. Welcome to, to my world, guys. Welcome <laughs> to my world. I will note that I I am concerned that we, as a result of this conversation, are going to enforce an explicit tag on you with uh with with Apple Podcasts and all the rest. So you know. Oh uh, no, we, man. Oh no, no. It's always I I, I yeah. upload them. It's always explicit. Yeah, well, yeah. We, we we've deserved that from the very start. <laughs> yeah, so, we've deserved you know. that from the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> if any of our listeners want to get a hold of you guys, because they were so impressed by. What you have to say about the MLS? Uh, how do they find you, Justin? Justin at lbar.com. Happy to chat. Justin at lbar, L-B-A-R dot com. That's it. Right on. And Ryan, how, how would people get a hold of you if they want to chat with you? R Castle, C-S-T-L-E at C-C-I-A-O-R dot com because we all love initials, right? <laughs> <laughs> Well, gentlemen, thank you very much for uh, for spending yeah, thanks, time guys. with us. Greg, great to see you. Thank you. And uh, I will just say B-Y-E because we love, we love acronyms. Bye, y'all. It was great. Thank you for listening to another episode of Industry Relations. Rob and I both appreciate your support. If you can find the time, please visit wherever you listen to your podcasts and give us a five-star rating and write a quick review. It really does help the show. Thanks again. And from Rob and I, be good to each other. Bye.